Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and all the prophets hang on these two commandments. The word of God. So in just a second, we'll talk about mission and, and vision stuff. But before that, I think we should talk about sports movies uh, for just a second. Uh, and it makes sense. Don't be too worried. Uh, but, but if there's one thing that um, you need to understand about our family, or one thing you could additionally understand, is that uh, we like sports movies in the Dietrich household. Uh, and you might think that makes sense. I mean, he has three sons. It's not me or the boys. It's Susan that likes these movies. I mean, she has had a sports movie collection since before we met. Uh, back when we had it all in DVDs, it was under S for sports, not under the titles because they might get lost. Um, and, and we just enjoy watching these movies. So um, some of our favorites, you know, Remember the Titans is, is a great one. Uh, there's a good one called Glory Road uh, that's really great. The Blind Side, Miracle, a good hockey movie. Can't beat a good hockey movie, right? Uh, I'm from Minnesota, in case we haven't met. Uh, <laughs> so, so you can't beat a good hockey movie about a Minnesota hockey coach that wins the Olympics. Um, Friday Night Lights, you know, I mean, these are all good, but, but one thing they all have in common, I mean, you could almost write one of these uh, just like on a napkin. You could write a sports movie. Uh, all you need to do is understand the plot of how it normally goes. So it goes like this. There's a disunified team, um, and they're having limited success because they're not unified in what they're doing. That's how the movie starts. The movie goes on. They experience some kind of adversity. Some, something happens, something stirs inside them, something Something goes on in the environment around them, and through uh, that adversity, they become a more unified team for the rest of the movie. They become people with the same passion, they become people with the same ambition, they have the same goals in mind, and more importantly, for the movie, they start to play like a team, not like a bunch of individuals, and in their new sense of unity, they have success for the rest of the season. The end. <laughs> That's kind of it. I mean, that's, that's what it's about. But I think we can learn some uh, from these movies. And, and that's this, the team never has success until they are unified. They never have any, any amount of success when they're fighting against each other, when they're, when they're being overwhelmed by the circumstances around them. Um, until they have the same goal, they never accomplish uh, what they set their mind to. And we can see that not just in sports movies, but, but sports in general. How many times is there a dysfunctional uh, football team or basketball team, and then they get to the playoffs, and all of a sudden they start playing well. Why? Because now the, the goal is, is right in front of them. There's no, there's no more time for fighting with each other. There's no more time. So so instead of bickering with each other during the season, now they're in the playoffs, and now they, all of a sudden they're unified, and, and I don't know how many uh, 
Lakers teams I've seen through the years. Um, you're all like, oh my goodness, he's mentioning the Lakers. <laughs> that, that, you know, I don't know, that franchise stands out to me. as one that is often uh, people with big egos and all this kind of stuff, and then they get together in the playoffs, and all of a sudden they have some success because they're able to play well alongside each other. Could have mentioned Golden State, whatever. But, but the point of this is that they don't go on some re- unity retreat. They, they don't go and, and start to, to focus on how do we become unified. What unifies them is that they have the same mission. What unifies them is that they have the same goal in mind. What unifies them is that they have the same uh, uh, end result that they can picture and they can see that, that they're going to have to work together to get there. And, and the church really is no different. Many, many churches are disunified in their goals. Uh, people just kind of go to church, and, and maybe the people are more loosely connected. Some are, are really uh, strongly a part of that church. And, but yet, you know, what's the mission of the church? What's, what's, the, what's their vision? What does it mean to accomplish uh, their mission? So that's what we're going to talk about today, is particularly this church, Chapel on the Pines. And we have two statements that we uh, use to help define that. We have what's called our mission statement, and then we also have our vision statement. So uh, I'm just going to talk through uh, those some, and not just talk about why it's important to have those, but talk about where they come from. These are not just uh, statements that come from a bunch of wise people sitting in a room. These are very, very biblical. These are things that we look to Scripture and we see, in the Bible, what, is, what does Jesus call us to be? How does Jesus call us to act uh, in our communities, around the people around us? And, and what does that mean as a church? Uh, so that's what we're going to do uh, for the rest of this time. So, uh, again, it, it's amazing how many churches don't have clearly defined goals or clearly defined missions. They just kind of gather together on Sunday mornings, and, and that's good, and they sing worship songs, and that's good, and they hear a sermon uh, from someone up front, and hopefully you all think that's good. Uh, otherwise, you're suffering right now. Um, but, it, but it's important to define who we're supposed to be. What are we supposed to act like? What, are we, what does it mean that we're a part of this church? What does it mean that this church is a part of this community? What does it mean that that we're supposed to love our neighbors, you know, with these kind of things. And, um, you know, if, if we don't have that, we all just kind of look to our own experiences to define either what church should be or what we know church shouldn't be. So we just kind of look in our own past. Maybe you grew up in a church and maybe there was some stuff that was good that was going on there and, and you just kind of think, oh, yeah, that's how church is supposed to be. You know, so they, they did it like, uh, you know, X, Y, and Z, therefore that's my expectation of the church now is that it should look like my church growing up or it should look like uh, my last church I was a part of uh, before I moved up here or it should look like uh, any number of things. And the reality is that, that we don't really get to define what church should look like. Uh, that's, that's the role of Jesus. Right? That's what it means to be a Christ follower, is, is that we look to Scripture, we look to Jesus' words, and we say, what are his demands of the church? 
Does he have a mission for us? Or do we just get to, to just pick something uh, and just kind of run with it? Um, or we can have the opposite. That can be true. Or we can say, you know, in my past, I saw a church that behaved this way, and it certainly seemed ungodly. It, it seemed like that wasn't right. And now all I want to be is a part of a church that is the polar opposite of that. You know, it's the same thing we do in so many areas of life. I just think of, like, parenting, for example. I mean, in parenting, how much of it is I, I, I put together things that my parents did that I thought went well, and then I picked some things that my parents did and said, I'm going to do the opposite of that. <laughs> and then I just kind of form it together, and, and then I'm inconsistent in, in doing it. And then your children are grown, and then you're like, and that's how we parented. <laughs> and then they have kids, and then you look, and you're like, they're doing the same thing that we did. And that part didn't even work. You know, pretty soon they're treating their 16-year-old the same way that you were treated as a 16-year-old, and the same way your grandmother was treated as a 16-year-old, and it just hasn't worked for generations. Uh, but, but the church does this too. <laughs> it's amazing. We, we have these, these things that we get kind of stuck in the rut, and, and we don't really look at what is God calling us to do. So uh, in our sermon graphic uh, for today, which you can see up on, on the slide or the front of the bulletin, um, or yeah, front of the bulletin right now, um, has, has all these arrows, right? And, and that's intentional. It's, it's this, uh, there we go. Uh, it's this idea of, of what are we aiming for? You know, we're all, we're all aiming for something, but a church that is not unified in its mission, a church that is not unified in its vision, has a million different targets. Every one of you has a different target of what you think the church should be. And it's from our own context, it's from our own history, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but if we just gather together and we all just kind of shoot our arrows, uh, hopefully we're all aiming the same direction, but we're certainly probably not aiming at the same target. Um, so what is a mission statement and what is a vision statement and how are they not the same thing and are they truly different? Um, here's how I like to explain it. So, so they both are answering questions, but they're answering different questions. So a mission statement answers a question about identity. Uh, it answers the question of who are we? The mission is all about who are we? Who are we called to be, particularly by God? Uh, what is Jesus' mission for the church? So it's, again, it's an identity piece. A vision statement answers a different question. It answers the question of what direction is God calling us to go? So the first one, the mission statement, can be more uh, generic for kind of the whole church. You might have a mission statement that applies for this church and applies for the one down the street. Uh, and the one down the street from them, and that's fine. Uh, but a vision statement normally is about your individual congregation. What, what direction does God want this church to go, this place uh, to go? So again, the a question, mission statement is about identity, and the vision statement is more about direction. So here at Chapel in the Pines, uh, we do again have both a mission statement and a vision statement. Uh, both are from Scripture. Both are very biblical. Um, both are, are trying to answer this idea of who are we called to be. We're not just called to be some isolated community in our own little corner of the world that's doing our own little weird thing. 
but we are called to be people who look to Scripture for direction, right? And that should unify us. So our mission statement is this, and it's pretty simple. I, think, I don't even know if you need to write it down. You probably can just memorize it. Our mission statement is love God, love others, and serve others. When we boil down the teachings of Jesus, uh, that is what it boils down to. That is who the church is called to be. We are called to be people who love God. We are called to be people who love other people and who serve other people. Really, this is just a mixing together of the Great Commission, and it's a mixing together of that with the greatest commandment and the second that, that is like it, right? So the Great Commission, this is Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It says this, and then Jesus said, or, and then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven, other people. Do they love people created in the image of God? And that's all of them. Do they love people created in the image of God? Do they love people that God loves? What does it mean if God loves his creation and yet, yet we harbor resentment against something that our, that our God loves? So do we love people that God loves? Do we love people that are easy to love? Sure. Why not? They're easy. And do we love people that are really difficult to love? And you've met them. <laughs> and maybe you are them. I don't know. But uh, we probably are them to some people, right? But th this, is the, this is the reality check, both, both within ourselves and within our church, is, is how are the bones doing? Because when those are there, the, the body can be healthy. The body can function, right? But when these aren't there, the rest of the body is almost useless. It can't do what it's supposed to do if, if this is not there, if, there, if God's people are not loving God, and if God's people are not loving other people. So again, this is our mission both as individual Christians, but it's also our mission as the church. And I find that helpful, because there's some people around that are better at some of this than I am. But when we're one church... Now all of a sudden I don't feel that bad about myself. Right? Because we're one body in Christ. It's not, it's not that we just write off our own shortcomings and say, oh, those don't matter anymore. But we can be so hard on ourselves. We can be so hard on ourselves. If our, if our faith is only about me and God, and that's it, and there's none of this us and we language, oh, we can be brutal on ourselves. And we can see all the areas that we fall short. But when we look around and we can say, that, that other person I know from church, that person that maybe they're in my small group, maybe I know them well, and oh, they love God with all that they have. I can just see. They trust God. They trust God in a way that I, I, just, I just don't. They pray to God, maybe in a way that, that I'm still learning how to. They just have such, such deep faith in all these other areas. Well, you're in the same boat with each other. So, so that's good news. That's really good news because as a church, we can accomplish this mission where we will fail every time as individuals. 
again, our mission is simple. And it's journeying language. We are called to love God, to love others, and to serve others. The reason I say it's journeying language is because there's a progress here. We don't start with just serving others without having the rest of it in place. I mean, you could. Go ahead, invite your friends to come serve at church. That's fine. <laughs> Maybe that's a good way for them to get connected. But they won't be serving with the right heart yet. Yet. We pray they will. But they won't be serving with the right heart until they experience God's love. Right? So the first step is I've experienced God's love. I've experienced God's forgiveness in my own life. I know that I'm a sinner, that I'm in desperate need of God. And I've, I've experienced his forgiveness through, through his death through Jesus' resurrection, uh, through Jesus' life. And, and this should stir a natural result within us. If that's true, if you are that kind of person, if you've experienced that, there should be some kind of natural result that stirs within you. And what that is, is that you should love God. We're just kind of wired that way. When we receive God's forgiveness, when we receive God's, God's grace, it stirs love within us towards God. And the more we love God, the journey continues. We start to love people that God loves. We start to love others around us. Now, now we're a church that's in a community, and we look out and we hope that people uh, that don't know God come to God, but we also love them. And, and we want to exist in a way that shows love to them, too. Not just us. And the journey continues. Not only do we love them, now we are called to serve them. And how best do we serve? We model Jesus. And, and Jesus served in a way that was giving of himself, that was sacrificing of himself on behalf of others. Those that maybe could repay him in some ways, and those that just have no ability to ever repay. I mean, just read the parables of Jesus, right? He talks about throwing a great banquet. And who do you invite if you're going to throw a great banquet or a great party? And the logic of his day was that you invited other wealthy people who could return the favor. And Jesus says that has some value, sure, but you'll be repaid by them. But if you invite those who cannot repay you, then your reward will be in heaven. Right? And our love is the same. What does it look like for us to love those who will not love us back? What does it look like for us as a church even to, to care about those who don't care about us? Not in a way that turns us bitter, but in a way that says we're going to love you anyway. You know, as a church, we do several ministries that are loving things, and then the list could go on and on, but the one that comes to mind right now is our food closet. You know, that is loving people who, by any stretch of the imagination, will not, will not be able to return the favor in any way. And that's fine. That's who we're called to be. The expectation is not that someday they will then bring food to the food shelf and pay it forward. That would be fine. That, that might be God-honoring. 
But that is not the expectation. The expectation is that we are living out our faith, and living out our faith sometimes looks like serving people that we know will never be able to serve us. And that's beautiful. And it's God-honoring. And it's a way that we can come before him and live our lives in such a way that points people further towards Christ. So the second statement is our vision statement. It answers the question of what direction is God calling us to go? So again, the first one could just be true of any number of churches, and, and I'm sure it is. Uh, it's not too hard to look at the Bible and say that God calls us to love people, <laughs> to love him. Uh, I hope others are able to read that <laughs> into Scripture. Uh, but the second one is a little more about us. What about this church? What direction is God calling us to go? What does it look like for us to live out this mission here? So we already answered this question of who are we, and now... Again, where are we called to go? Our church's vision statement um, goes like this. First of all, we, we are called to be a church uh, that is, and then this is the official statement, equipping God's people for life-changing ministry in our church and in our community. Again, equipping God's people for life-changing ministry in our church and in our community. Also right from the Bible, as it should be. This is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 12. It says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Again, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. He gave, he gave the leaders of the church for a specific reason, for a specific purpose. And what is it here? To equip his people for works of service. Why? So that the body of Christ may be built up. The end result is that the body of Christ is to be built up, and the body of Christ won't be built up unless God's people are equipped. So that's where we get this equipping language in our vision statement. So, so again, equipping God's people for life-changing ministry in our church, and in our community. We believe that we exist to be a church that equips people, that trains people, that nourishes people, that builds them up. Does that mean we don't care about people that haven't come to know Jesus? Of course not. That's just not biblical. <laughs> of course we care about them. Uh, we love them dearly. We want them to come here. We want them to know who Jesus is. And then we want them to be equipped uh, adequately in a way that they can then go spread that good news of who Jesus is. But, but many of us are living in the middle. Many of us are living in this space in between hearing God's word and, and telling others about it. And, and that's not a bad place to be. 
but it's a bad place to be for 30 years. <laughs> it's a bad place to live. There's some journey language going on, right? There's some equipping language. Maybe, and it's not necessarily people's fault if they find themselves accepting Jesus and then, and then they don't know what to do with that information. How am I supposed to grow in faith? How am I supposed to reach out to my neighbors? How am I supposed to do that and not be the weirdo that lives next door? How do, how do I not be like these other people that I've seen that, that have done it maybe poorly and have turned people away from Jesus with how they've done it? How, how can we do it well? And again, that's this equipping language, that we are people that are supposed to be growing in our faith. We're people that are supposed to be growing in our, our love for God, growing in our love for others. We're people on a journey. We're not called to just be people that are the final product of who we're supposed to be. But again, we're also not called to live spiritual lives that look exactly the same as they did 20 years ago. Or look exactly the same as they did 10 years ago. Or 5 years ago. So we have this language of life-changing ministry. Doing ministry in a way that changes who we are. That changes how we love God. That changes how we love other people. That, that changes that who we are in our core so that, so that other people look at us eventually. And, and you know these people in your lives. Maybe you're going to hang out with them this week for Thanksgiving. But there's people that have been watching your life. And, and if your life becomes radically changed by the gospel of Jesus, and all of a sudden you love people better than you've ever loved them before, and you forgive people better than you've ever forgiven them before, and you, and you just have compassion for people, other people are going to notice. And when they do, it's a wonderful thing. Because your life has changed, your life has been transformed. It's this old church word. It's this word sanctification. It means as we become a Christian and the longer we live with Christ, we become more and more Christ-like. There's little bits and pieces of how we live our life that people see that and it reflects off of us and they see Jesus just for a glimpse. And, and we love someone in a way that, that somebody looks at us and it's like it reflects off and they see a glimpse of what Jesus is like. And then they go, oh, there's something different going on. There's something different in that person's life. And, and what a beautiful thing uh, that we have to be able to come before people and say, yes, there is something different in my life. You know, I'm, I'm a sinner. I'm a, I'm a fallen person. I'm a broken person. But I'm also, through Jesus, I am a forgiven person. And what a beautiful place that is to be to say, God has forgiven me of so much that I just can't help but live my life differently now. And when they notice that first, uh, even if it's before we speak, <laughs> oh, what a testimony that is. People are ready to hear about this Jesus in your life. If, if they notice the change, if they notice who you are. So really, as I said earlier with that, that 
scripture text, how it can be used as an x-ray to look at us. So can this mission statement, so can this vision statement, uh, to be able to say and as our mission that we are called to love God, that we are called to love others and serve others. Again, it's a little bit of that reality check. How, how are the bones uh, doing of your spiritual life? Everything that is built off of that, how is that going? And our vision, uh, equipping God's people for life-changing ministry in our church and in our world. Are you doing it? Are you, uh, as an individual, are we as a church, are we being equipped? Are we equipping others? That's part of what's happening downstairs with the children's ministry right now. There's people who are further along with their faith than those kids are, and, and they're walking them through some stuff, and they're equipping them. They have conversations downstairs, and they have conversations at youth group and other things about what does it mean to be a Christian at my lunch table? What does it mean to love someone in my school who, who doesn't feel a whole lot of love from a whole lot of people? You know, that's, that's true in our lives, too. <laughs> uh, for those of you that don't regularly go to a lunch table, there's other people you probably eat lunch with. What does it mean to love them closer to Jesus? Even if it's your spouse. I don't know if you picked up on that hint. Someone you probably eat lunch with. I'm assuming it's probably your spouse. I'm hoping it's your spouse. Maybe it's, maybe it's work, people at work that you're alongside, but what does it look like to love people closer to God? To be a living testimony. And that's what these services are on Sunday morning, too. That's the goal, anyway. This is supposed to be an equipping time. That's what Sunday morning church is supposed to be. It's a time where, where God's people... Uh, leave their normal setting, and they gather together in one place, and they, they become equipped, uh, more equipped for this journey ahead. And it doesn't often happen in one, like, lightning bolt, but it happens with years of, of coming and hearing God's word and singing praises to God that slowly uh, we become transformed. You know, it only makes sense if you, uh, and I know you all are keeping track of what sermon series we've done. I know that's a thing that you all love to do. Uh, but if you were, you would see a lot of equipping stuff lately. You know, this summer we did a big long sermon series on how we can love our neighbors. Really, that's a series about practical evangelism. Loving the people that God has put right around us. Not saying we love our neighbors as in we love everyone. That's wonderful. But we love our neighbors as in the people that actually live near us too. They are also our neighbors. And what does it mean to love them? And, and we've gone out in our community and, and did our prayer walk thing over the summer. And that was, that was both to pray for the community. It was also to, to build up in us that we are people of prayer. That was, that was equally for us to go out and pray as it was for the people we were praying for. And, and we had a sermon series on prayer, and we had 
a sermon series on the book of Jonah, a prophet who was so broken. Uh, if you weren't here for it, just read Jonah. You'll know what I'm talking about. He was, he was such a, uh, a flawed human being, but yet he was a human being that God used in mighty ways. Which, I don't know about you, but that makes me feel uh, good. <laughs> because we know our own flaws, and to see, to see God use a flawed person to do mighty things, uh, this opens our eyes to God using us to do things in the world around us. So people of God, we have been given a mission. And God has set a target before us, and he has told us what to aim for. We are to aim at loving God. We are to aim at loving others. We are to aim at serving others. And I have to tell you, it's a beautiful life to live. It is a worthy life to live. It's not, it's not throwing away your potential. It's not throwing away your life. This is a beautiful and a worthy calling to love God, to love other people, to serve other people, and to do it side by side with brothers and sisters in Christ. Equipping and encouraging each other all along. And trusting and knowing in the promise that Jesus will be with us through the journey. This is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And, and I don't know about you, but I'm just excited to be on mission with you. I'm excited to do it. Uh, this is, again, this is an equipping time. This, this, this sermon has no value if we don't do it. <laughs> it has no value if we just listen to, to God's Word, if we just listen to Word uh, from Scripture, and we just hear it, and then, and then we just go on like our lives are the way they were. Uh, but if we live this out, not only will our families be transformed, but our community will be transformed, and we'll see it in our loved ones, and we'll see it with all those that we influence. Uh, what a beautiful thing this is.